Chapter Sixteen of the Sorcery Club by Elliot O'Donnell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Don W. Jenkins. Chapter Sixteen. Hamar makes advances. The doctors had stated that the tenth day would see the crisis of John Martin's illness. If he could tide over that period, he might go on for years without another attack. When the momentous day arrived, Gladys was simply eating her heart out with suspense. Not a sound was permitted in the house. The servants, tiptoeing about, hardly ventured even to exchange glances. The errand boys were waylaid and sent to the right about, with a vague notion that if they opened their mouths their heads would be off. And someone was posted at the garden gate to deal, in a scarcely less summary manner, with visitors. Indeed, so fearful was Gladys lest her father should hear Sheel, who had managed to elude her outpost, that without meaning it she greeted him curtly, and more plainly than politely gave him to understand that she wished him elsewhere. "'What have you been saying to Sheel Davenport?' Miss Templeton asked Gladys when they met at lunch. "'I passed him on the road just now, and he looked so wretched that, despite his ineligibility, I felt quite sorry for him.' i'm sure he is very much in love with you nonsense gladys said he's only a boy but boy though it pleased her to call him she knew that he had played a man's part during her father's illness every night he had faithfully performed the role she had allotted to him at the kingsway hall and upon him she was forced to admit the success of the entertainment in a large measure depended without pushing himself or being the least bit officious he had been equally helpful behind the scenes he had held in check all those who taking advantage of her father's absence were disposed to dispute her authority and shirk their work and he had also on her behalf successfully resisted their demand for higher wages and over and above all this he had always considered her personal comfort her meals which she could never bother about for herself when engaged all day at the hall were thanks to him brought to her as punctually and served as daintily as they would have been for her father he had taken every care that she should not be disturbed when resting and there was in short nothing he had not thought of doing to lighten the load so unexpectedly laid upon her shoulders the only fault she could find with him was that he had not gained the good graces of her father the day slowly waned gladys had stolen into her father's room repeatedly to see how he fared and to her his condition had seemed much about the same he was as usual tired and peevish but when at six o'clock she again stole in to peep at him and found him lying back on his pillow absolutely still and motionless and without apparently breathing she was immeasurably shocked had he had another fit or was he dead wild with grief and terror she rushed from the room to the telephone the doctor and met him on the landing you have no need to fear he said to her the moment he had looked at john martin he is sound asleep and when he awakes the crisis will be past to-morrow he may go out for a bit and in a week he will be himself again only you must take care that he does not use his brain too much gladys could hardly restrain her delight she felt pleased with everything and everybody and her greeting of shield some two hours later at the theatre almost turned his brain in fact it was owing to this pleasant surprise that he made one or two stupid mistakes in his performance and was sharply pulled back to earth by the ironic laughter of the audience when the entertainment was over and he was preparing to accompany gladys as usual to her motor 
the thought of her sparkling eyes and animated features again overcame him what shall you advise your father to do he asked i think he ought to lose no time in getting a partner gladys replied someone who can attend to the business side of the concern for him it is essential he should not be worried about figures i suppose my services won't be required much longer shiel said speaking with rather an effort of course i can't answer for my father gladys replied but i should imagine he would be only too glad to employ you the only thing is the salary you can't live on air you know and with the poor attendances he gets now i don't see how he can afford to pay much i would work for very little shiel said i should be awfully sorry to give up now i wonder if you would miss me at all of course i should gladys retorted you have behaved admirably and i am most grateful to you you needn't be grateful to me i have never enjoyed anything half so much as i have trying to help you i am poor penniless in fact since my uncle left me nothing but supposing supposing i were to get some lucrative post do you think do you think there would ever be any possibility of of what of your caring for me i am terribly in love with you i fear i must have given you encouragement gladys said i'm awfully sorry you see i never thought of this and i don't know what to say to you won't you give me a chance just a chance but my father would never hear of it unfortunately he seems to be prejudiced against you won't you wait a while and then if you are still in the same mind speak to me again in say a year by that time you will no doubt have made some sort of position for yourself and in the meantime you will get engaged to someone else shiel exclaimed i don't think i shall gladys said of course i meet crowds of men but you see i am not the marrying sort do you think you would care for me just a bit shiel asked eagerly a tiny bit perhaps gladys said but i'm not at all sure i can think of no one now but my father so that if you value my good opinion or really want to prove your devotion to me you must for the time being devote yourself to him who knows it may lie in your power to do him some service i don't see how shiel replied somewhat despondingly but no matter after you your father and your father's affairs shall be my first consideration you will let me see you sometimes won't you sometimes gladys laughed good-bye don't make any mistakes to-morrow your performance to-night was not as good as usual and with this somewhat cruel remark she stepped lightly into her motor and drove off shiel now gave way to despair there were few conditions in life so utterly unenviable as penury and love to be next door to starving and at the same time in love day after day shiel who was thus afflicted had revelled in gladys's company and had intoxicated himself with her beauty fully aware that for each moment of pleasure there would later on be a corresponding moment of pain it was only in romance he told himself that the penniless lover suddenly finds himself in a position to marry in reality his love-suit is rejected with scorn his adored one marries someone who has or pretends he has limitless wealth and the despised swain ends his days a miserable and dejected bachelor all the same shiel determined that he would for once fare like the hero in romance that he would either win the object of his affections or perish in the attempt and no sooner did the fit of the blues consequent to the conversation last related wear off than he set to work in grim earnest to discover some means of breaking up the modern sorcery company limited 
and of restoring to the firm of martin and davenport their former prestige in the meanwhile affairs were by no means stationary as far as hamar and his colleagues were concerned the appearance of their paper tomorrow a morning journal that chronicled faithfully every event of the following day caused a tremendous sensation and the sale of every other paper sank to nil no one naturally wanting to buy the news that had happened yesterday when for the same money they could obtain news of what would happen that very day the stupid method of chronicling past events hamar announced in the first issue of his organ was now obsolete it was perhaps good enough for the victorian era but it was utterly out of keeping with the present age of hourly progress who for instance wanted to know that at six p m on the preceding evening there had been a big fire in new york was it not far more to the point for them to learn for example that at two p m on that very day rio de janeiro would be partially destroyed by an earthquake that the post office in king's road chelsea would be broken into by thieves that nelson's monument in trafalgar square would be blown up by suffragettes or something equally fresh and exciting one cannot get thrills at least not the right kind of thrills in reading of what has already taken place to say to ourselves or to a friend just fancy we might have been in that railway accident or in reading of a shipwreck what a mercy we did not embark after all is it not is not half as enthralling as to be wondering if at eleven o'clock that night when the terrific storm in which twenty-six people will be killed by lightning in various parts of england we shall be among the fatal number one is not much moved to find oneself alive when a danger is past but one does get terribly excited in contemplating the risk we are bound to run of being killed within a week the circulation of to-morrow had gone up from fifty thousand to ten million and hamar inflated with success said to himself now i will go and have another look at john martin when he arrived gladys was in the garden his stealthy approach had given her no chance to escape what is your business she asked glancing nervously in the direction of the house and dreading lest her father should see hamar from his window i've come to see your father hamar said his eyes resting admiringly on her face and then running leisurely over her figure how is the old gentleman he is not well enough to see visitors gladys said with absolute hauteur perhaps you will state your business to me well i don't mind if i do hamar replied let us sit down it's more comfortable than standing and he dropped into a seat as he spoke now i've been noticing he went on that your show in the kingsway is not getting on very well that there are fewer and fewer people there every night and i've no doubt that it will soon have to dry up altogether we on the other hand are doing better and better every night and we shall go on doing better there is no limit to our possibilities we are worth half a million now next year we shall be worth ten times that amount you are optimistical at all events gladys said i can afford to be hamar grinned now do you know what we intend doing before very long i haven't the least idea and i am not in the slightest degree curious aren't you well you should be since it concerns you we mean to buy up the whole of kingsway and later on of course the whole of regent street you are satirical you are not alarmed at the prospect of having me for a landlord 
i don't understand you the hall in kingsway is my father's own property if that is so then you have nothing to fear hamar laughed but i think it just possible you are mistaken at any rate i've been in communication with someone styling himself as the landlord my father would have an agreement anyhow gladys said of course hamar replied and i've a pretty shrewd idea of the terms of it but enough of this let me come to the point i intend buying the property and i shall refuse to renew your father's lease unless he agrees to give me what i want of course a preposterous price no you only you me yes i've never seen a girl i like more i've limitless wealth and i'll give you everything you want a steam yacht motors diamonds anything everything and all i ask in return is that you should consent to be engaged to me on trial say for fifteen months just to see how we get on what pretty hands you have and before gladys could draw them away he had caught hold of them in an iron grasp and turning them over cast admiring glances at the slim white fingers with the long almond-shaped and carefully manicured nails i reckon he said i shall never find anyone prettier all through what do you say your proposition is impossible monstrous i detest you gladys retorted her cheeks white with anger leave go my hands at once and never let me see you again i can't promise not to see you again hamar said but i'll let go your hands now for i'm no more a lover of scenes than you i anticipated a little fuss at first it's the way all you women have you are so modest you don't like to appear too eager to snap up a good offer you'll close with it right enough in the end i'll call again in a few days by that time you may have changed your mind and before she could prevent him he had again seized her hand and was kissing it over and over again with an ejaculation of the utmost indignation she sprang away from him and with all the dignity she could assume walked to the house what became of him she did not know some few seconds later she told the gardener to see him safely off the premises but he was nowhere to be found a week later hamar turned up again at the cottage and despite the vigilance of gladys and the servants caught john martin alone when the latter at last came to the end of what had at first seemed an inexhaustible stock of invectives hamar stated his proposals with mathematical exactitude i don't believe for one moment my landlord would be such a blackguard as to play into your hands john martin spluttered oh yes he would hamar replied an englishman will do anything for money and i am prepared to offer him just twice as much as anyone else for your hall do you think he will refuse not he but what on earth's your object you've ruined me already your daughter hamar cried miss gladys i am prepared to go to any lengths to get her refuse to give her to me and i'll turn you out of your hall i'll torment you with every kind of insect i'll plague you with disease i'll make your life hell but give her to me and i'll but i won't and i defy you to do your worst you you and there is no knowing what would have happened had not gladys suddenly come in and dragged her father out of the room how dare you she exclaimed returning to the study to find hamar still there i've telephoned to the police and unless you go instantly and promise not to come again i shall give you in charge for annoyance foolish of you very foolish hamar said when i want to be friendly sooner or later you must give in so why not end all this needless unpleasantness now and receive me if not with open arms at least amicably 
you are so awfully pretty i must have just one but before he could kiss gladys the police arrived and hamar once more retired with somewhat undignified haste and more than a little discomfited on arriving in cockspur street hamar's temper underwent a still further trial kelson taking advantage of his absence had gone off to tea with lillian rosenberg in ill-suppressed fury he waited till they returned a word with you matt he said as kelson tried to shuffle past him so this is the way you behave when my back is turned i suppose you've had a good time delightful and you know the consequences only that i'm looking forward to the same thing another day she'll go she won't kelson chuckled she is far too valuable so there old man a month ago your threat might have held good it won't now you daren't you positively daren't part with her because if you do so you'd not only part with a good few of your secrets but you'd part with me end of chapter sixteen read by don w jenkins rancho san diego california